partner with business leaders at more than 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools and data that help power their emerging market business strategies. Today we wanted to give you a summary of an executive roundtable that we held in London in early October, where we had heads of international and heads of Europe, Middle East and Africa coming together to discuss the outlook for next year, as well as how their business strategies need to evolve in order to win despite external headwinds during the next 12 months or so. The discussion was a full day one, so we will try to give you a bit of a taste of what the different discussions uh, covered. And uh, if you're an FSG client and would like a full debrief on topics covered in the conversation, uh, certainly let your uh, client relationship director know and they'll be happy to arrange that. Now, this is a difficult year for multinationals to plan for the next 12 months for, and we've seen that already in the questions that they're trying to answer during the 2016 planning process. The reason is because 2015 was a year highlighted by very significant currency volatility, a sharp drop in oil prices that really came to play in a variety of markets during most of 2015, even though it started in late 2014, as well as changes in the competitive environment that put pressure on some of the region's biggest markets. So it's a time for executives to really rethink what does a competitive opportunity look like within their region and how does their business need to adapt in order to win despite some of the somewhat unfavorable external environment that we're expecting to continue for 2016 as well. A lot of the discussion was centered around picking the right market. So making sure that as you're allocated resources, which are of course are reasonably limited, you are placing your bets on markets that are more likely to be resilient and withstand some of the external headwinds next year as well. Um, and markets that can deliver good return on investment, whether they're large ones or less so. And some of the calculations around this have changed, uh, which we will cover shortly, especially as it relates to markets in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, second, we also talked about managing expectations for next year around questions like currency volatility, overall growth. Uh, there's definitely a sense of anxiety about getting it wrong for a year where growth may underperform targets again, currencies may depreciate more than expected, pricing strategies may need to adapt, etc., etc. Um, so getting the planning right for this year is very much of a priority for the companies in the room. Um, and a lot of that is around building scenarios where necessary, thinking through ranges as opposed to single numbers and forecasts, as well as understanding what are the kinds of disruptors that could change plans as they are set out as a baseline assumption. Third, we talked about uh, improving the channel. A lot of the currency volatility and slowdowns in growth that have affected performance in um, key emerging markets have manifested also into problems that distributors are facing, as well as the need to generally optimize the channel in order to improve costs and margins, as well as to reach any customers that are currently not being reached. So the priority on getting distribution right is uh, much higher now than it has been at least for several years. And we saw that reflected in some of the live polling that we did, where 36% of the clients in the room said that getting their channel right should be their top priority from a management perspective for next year. 
And then finally, we also talked about adapting the value proposition. Some of that was driven by the currency drops that we've seen undermining the cost competitiveness of a lot of imported Western products. And um, the need to then pass some of that cost increase onto customers, which is uh, undermining market share. A lot of companies are struggling with this, not just in consumer goods, but also in healthcare, in industrials and in technology. Um, and so we um, we had detailed discussions about how are individual companies um, changing the, the way that the pricing process is run, as well as making sure that their teams on the ground have the right mandate to make trade-offs where those are necessary by um, by external pressures like currency volatility. So we had some very tactical discussions around getting the pricing strategy right, but also in the context of the overall value proposition for the product and the rest of the commercial strategy with questions around how do you get marketing to support a higher price? How do you get your channel to be more uh, optimal uh, in the, in their cost structure to be able to then pass on price savings to, to consumers, et cetera, et cetera. Now, going on to some of the detailed discussions that we had during the day, uh, we um, uh, had a conversation about the outlook for Sub-Saharan Africa. Now, I'm joined here by the presenter for that session, our head of Sub-Saharan Africa, Anna Rosenberg. Anna, can you tell us a little bit more about what prompted this discussion and what are some of the key takeaways from it? Sure. Thank you, Martina. So Sub-Saharan Africa, is, as you just highlighted as well, it's facing a lot of macroeconomic volatility. So in the session um, that was titled Delivering on Sub-Saharan Africa's Growth Promise, we discussed which strategies multinationals can implement to be prepared for more volatility as a result of low oil prices, the slowdown in China and um, more currency volatility. So in the session, we, we shared our new resilience to external shock index, which highlights which markets in Sub-Saharan Africa are more resilient to external shock than others. The, the results got our clients very excited and they are go likely going to amend their strategies for 2016 to be adjusted to some of the key findings of the index. I don't want to give too much away because we're going to um, have more information coming out on this index specifically. But in a nutshell, Nigeria is less vulnerable than generally thought. East African markets, as well as some Francophone African markets, are ranking pretty well, well in our index and really got our clients quite excited. So there's going to be more to come pretty soon. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Anna. Very interesting work here on uh, understanding who are the winners and the losers. Now, I wanted to then move on to a discussion about the Middle East. We had um, a bit of a, uh, an interesting conversation around investment priorities for the Middle East and for Europe, Middle East and Africa more generally during the session. And what transpired is that a lot of companies are trying to prioritize investment in the GCC and parts of North Africa, as well as Iran, in order to uh, deliver uh, a more reliable return on investment, if you will, uh, for the next 12 months. Now, I was hoping that uh, Matthew, our head of Middle East research, could um, uh, comment a little bit about these investment trends and then also about the specific discussion on Iran, which was a key priority focus for a lot of the companies in the room. Thanks, Martina. Yeah, so, I mean, as far as the investment trends in Middle East, North Africa go, um, you're right, there, there was a lot of focus on the GCC. There was a lot of focus on Egypt as well. I think one of the areas that will uh, need to be factored into planning and might also come into play when you think about course correction of strategies is just the fact that there's so much focus on the GCC, not only for executives focused on MENA, but really for executives focused on EMEA, 
Um, and with the fact that a lot of those economies are slowing down and that there's a lot of competition, and if not competition, just focus on these markets, it's going to be a little bit harder to, to get what I think companies are expecting uh, out of them from a growth perspective. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, now, I want to talk a little bit about Iran because we did have a breakout session on that, uh, which was very well attended. Uh, and I point that out because of the high level of interest that we continue to see from our clients on Iran, uh, despite the fact that it's not uh, an easy market. Um, and despite the fact that these conversations, although you know they come from the fact that companies are interested in Iran, a lot of the discussion focuses on areas of concern and where there could be potential blind spots. Three main areas that we talked about were local partners, banking, and IP protection. Uh, from a local partner perspective, um, we heard from a lot of companies that are trying to get into the market. Their number one priority right now is finding the right partner. Uh, and that uh, focus was really confirmed by companies that are already there and naming that as really their number one area of success, finding that right local partner. Um, we also heard discussion about uh, the Turkish model versus the Dubai model as they were entitled uh, and working through uh, Turkish partners being more successful than working through partners that are based in Dubai. Uh, we could see that as changing a little bit in the upcoming years just because there's such a large uh, Iranian diaspora in the UAE. Um, and as some of the restrictions that were put in place there are lifted, you could start to see that shifting a little bit. So local partners was a big area of discussion. Another area of discussion, as I said, was banking. Uh, for companies that were already there, we heard a, a deep level of frustration just because of how fragmented uh, domestic banking sector is. Uh, one client commented that he has over 160 bank accounts in order to do business in Iran right now, and it's not sustainable. Um, I think the other area of focus that's really important for, for all companies is that from the perspective of working with the banks that you work with internationally or regionally, uh, really to stop waiting for that moment when a large international bank, whether it's European or, or whatever it might be, comes back into Iran in a big way. And I think what was really talked about was uh, focusing on strategies in order to work with second tier banks, third tier banks, and understanding that obviously they're going to be working within any sort of parameters that are laid out uh, from sanctions perspective, uh, but they're going to be much more active and it changes the calculations as far as financing goes and other areas of interest for investing in Iran, as well as your speed in order to be able to invest. Um, and then thirdly, as I said before, IP protection. This is something that is definitely on the mind of a lot of companies across sectors for uh, consumer goods companies as well as IT companies. A lot of their products are already in the Iranian market, and whether that's through parallel distribution, smuggling, um, and also counterfeiting, it's something that's going to be, uh, they're going to have to deal with that from the perspective of uh, marketing, how they reclaim uh, their brand, uh, because th there's already an exposure that Iranian consumers or customers have already had to it. That's going to be on their mind in the upcoming years. And then for healthcare companies, IP protection was also something that was discussed, and that's just because a lot of companies are thinking longer term in Iran. They want to think about setting up local manufacturing. Um, it's, a, it's definitely a, a way uh, to uh, get closer to the market, uh, to deal with a, a lack of good data. Uh, but it also is something that will take time for companies to feel comfortable to do that. They're going to have to uh, build up confidence. They're going to have to see from the Iranian government that steps are being taken to protect IP. Uh, because for now, there's definitely an understanding that the government is going to do all it can to, on the one hand, attract foreign investment, but on the other hand, protect local industry. Um, and until we reach a point where more information 
is available on that and there's a more established precedent on what the government might do, it's going to remain an area where a lot of companies are going to be tentative at best. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Matthew. Now, turning to another market, which is a key investment opportunity for multinationals, including in 2016, despite some external headwinds, we had a conversation during the event about Nigeria. What is the outlook for that market? And what are some strategies, especially around channel, to help multinationals outperform despite what has been slightly softer growth than um, than historic averages, if you will? Now, here I'm joined by our um, Sub-Saharan Africa senior analyst, Alexa Lyon, who led the session and will give us a sense of what were some of the key topics discussed. Thank you very much, Martina. Indeed, we had a very interesting discussion about Nigeria because the market remains a key key market in MNC's portfolios, despite some significant headwinds that have contributed to slower growth. Nigeria is very dependent on oil, and the oil price decline of last year led the market to significantly slow in growth. Growth during Q1 of this year uh, slowed from about 4.3% to 2.5% in Q2 of this year because of the oil price decline, decline in manufacturing, and softer consumer spending. Despite these headwinds, it's all the more important for multinationals to nail their channel strategies and really ensure that they're reaching the right, cus- the right customers in the most efficient way possible. And so talking about some of the challenges that surround distribution in Nigeria, which include difficult access to foreign exchange, high turnover from the distributor organization, acute need for investment in such a difficult time despite high interest rates, we realize that it's very important to have a very close relationship with the distributor and establish the terms from day one. So for example, companies need to have very close oversight on inventory and financial capacity for new investments by establishing close information sharing channels with the distributors, having the right people on the ground to oversee the distribution organization, and also establishing trust between them and the partner by crafting the right incentives and the right balance in oversight. That said, despite that crucial need to have that very close relationship from day one, few clients rely on their distributors for marketing and for the reporting of customer trends. In fact, most clients prefer to understand what's happening in the market with the customers and how much easier it would be for the end user to access the end product through third-party channels before approaching the distributor. So then equipped with that information, clients can then gauge the criteria and the products involved in what issues they can settle up front with the distributors, how they can ultimately vet the distributor, and then manage them on an ongoing basis. Thank you very much, Alexa. Now, we also spoke about two other key markets in the region in a little bit more detail, looking at the strategies that multinationals are implementing to grow, despite what are likely to be continued external headwinds and pretty low growth for the next year. These were Russia and Turkey, uh, of course, critical to the CE and the MENA portfolios of um, a lot of our clients. And uh, unfortunately, both of them are facing both reasonably low growth next year, as well as some uh, some potential risks. Now, in the case of Russia, what we have found, though, is that multinationals are adjusting their growth expectations and targets for that market, but are not necessarily reducing investment. They're looking for efficiencies. They're looking for 
ways to restructure their channel management uh, policies. They're looking to maybe replace existing channels that are underperforming. Um, and they're also looking for areas where they can invest, whether it's in putting additional salespeople on the ground to uh, really work with key accounts and identify key customers uh, to win where competition has become much stronger or even to localize manufacturing as a way to improve the cost um, positioning of their products in the market. A, a lot of companies are adjusting to the new normal for Russia and uh, are not necessarily deprioritizing the market um, as much as they're trying to position themselves for an environment where growth is unlikely to recover and um, be above one and a half percent or so in the next three to four years. Now, this is a different uh, story to what we've been hearing from clients about Turkey. Again, another one of the markets that uh, a lot of companies have made substantial investments in and one that has a very, very high growth potential, but has been suffering from political as well as economic headwinds. And for a discussion on the Turkey conversations that we had at the event, I'm passing this on to Zeynep Kosereysulu, who is our leading Turkey analyst. Thank you, Martina. Now, considering the volatility that we've experienced in Turkey in the past year, it is really not surprising that uh, we saw quite a bit of uh, frustration regarding Turkey in the uh, breakout sessions that we had. Uh, we heard our clients uh, were quite worried um, and unsurprisingly worried about the political uncertainty and the security risks in Turkey that have actually heightened in the past uh, few weeks. We've heard about the concerns over the unpredictability of uh, relations with the government, as well as fluctuating demand that, that clients were facing um, from their consumers uh, as well as businesses in Turkey. Uh, and last, of course, there was a, a worry in the background of, in the minds of our clients about the economic fundamentals of Turkey and whether it was resilient to the strengthening dollar and, and its impacts on potential um, Turkish businesses and, and consumers in general. And what we discussed with our clients in light of all of this uh, uncertainty is the very, very critical need to separate the news uh, and the perceived risks about Turkey from the actual risks to their business. And um, related to this, of course, understanding the risks uh, must be followed by um, optimizing uh, our clients' local presence in Turkey. And we discussed with our clients about uh, the importance of uh, ensuring their local teams or their local partners and distributors with uh, that ensuring that their capabilities are, are up to speed in terms of capturing uh, opportunities in this environment where we will see slower growth in Turkey, not only next year, but in the medium term term and um, in an environment where despite the slow growth we will see continued high competition and high costs uh, for our clients so we will um, definitely be continuing to work with our clients on setting their expectations and um, making sure their local uh, teams have the right capabilities to succeed in this environment thank you very much Zainab now just to summarize the discussions were really about less the external environment is going to be very, very difficult uh, and uh, there's not much we can do about it, but much more of a shift toward being proactive about improving the commercial strategy, the overall growth prioritization, as well as the uh, local partnerships in order to win despite these headwinds, given that really everybody is facing these headwinds. So in some ways, it's an equitable environment in which the companies that adapt better are likely to succeed. Now, for clients on the line, uh, we are more than happy to set up an individual tailored briefing on the 
key takeaways from this event for you or members of your team. So just let your client relationship director know. For those of you um, on the line as well, thank you very much for your time and we wish you great outperformance in your emerging markets. Thank you.